Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, what the future looks like for Fantastic Beasts. A preview of the weekend in the NFL as it's a Cosmic Crossfire takeover as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Back with the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all our shows. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without the man back from Disney. You got to check out everything going on today at his site, robmccallumfilms.com, which gives you the latest and greatest on what's going on in his world when it comes to all of his films all of his documentaries, all of his projects coming up, and so much more, including Box Art, the docuseries, the Kitty biography, Missing Mom, Nintendo Quest, Power Grayskull that's now available on Netflix, and so, so, so much more. It is my good friend. It is the storyboard master himself, Rob McCallum. It's funny you say that, Gerald. There is another Rob McCallum in this world who lives in Toronto, not too far from where I am, and he does storyboards for a living. And often we will get people messaging us, those known as Rob McCallum, looking to talk to the other person. And I have a couple of mutual friends with this guy, and he's done work on films like Resident Evil and Star Trek Discovery, I believe, and a lot of the stuff that shoots up in Toronto. So I am not the storyboard master, but I do like to make movies. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, great to see you, my friend, once again. Been a long time. A lot of projects. I did a symposium down in Orlando. was taking care of that. And, of course, you had to stop by the great place known as Disney World along the way. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, always part of the machine, so I uh, had to do it. I mean, hey, we talk about Disney enough, and today's episode is not going to be any exception to that because they have a ton of stuff going on with possibly uh, you know, being the world's biggest entertainment conglomerate. They, they kind of have a weekly spot on our, on our show, if you will, so it's always nice to include them and go down there and then kind of see what they're, they're doing in the theme parks. Well, you were doing some research plan. for our show there. Oh, more than just research. I mean, uh, I will say that I did get to see the cool model, the scale model for Galaxy's Edge, which is really nice. I got to see that, and I got to see all the different concept art and all the different videos that they were showing off for that new Star Wars land. And uh, I saw where it's going to connect to Hollywood Studios as well. They have a nice big picture there, and people are taking uh, you know their own little selfies in front of it. And I hope uh, you know if I go back in you know two or three years with the fam to have another picture taken in front of it, so you can see the fam kind of grow up in the same spot. I saw the layout how it's setting up when I was at Disneyland in October, and I'll tell you what, right now I'm so excited for it. Not only on Disneyland, but when I hopefully someday get to go back to Disney World itself on the on the East Coast and get to check it out as well, because I know it's going to be even larger than what you see at Disneyland. Yeah, and the nice thing about it at Disney World is it's really going to make Hollywood Studios much more of an attraction in terms of what you do at each of the four parks. Animal Kingdom just got Pandora and the the world of Avatar, so that's a nice little expansion for them to make a trip there a little bit more uh, fulfilling, I guess you could say, because before it was really just the safari as the heart of it. 
Epcot's got a lot of stuff going on, especially with the World Showcase. It could use a few more things, I think. Magic Kingdom is the Magic Kingdom. And Hollywood Studios has been lacking a bit for a year. They have Pixar Land, which just opened up, which was really cool to see for the first time. Of course, Star Tours has been has been like the staple there for a while, but now adding Galaxy's Edge, I think it really makes it a bona fide experience. And it's nice to see it separate from the Magic Kingdom so you don't get all that kind of foot traffic in one spot. Because when I was there, it was part of Hollywood Land, and it was just kind of wedged in there into the side and the corner, and then they would have some presentations and whatnot, but it didn't seem like a an, an extended, fulfilling experience. But obviously now that's going to be the case when, when Star Wars, uh, the whole total experience comes in just a short bit of time. It's, you know, 2019 is just around the corner. It's true, and Disney World gets it in the fall compared to the summer of Disneyland. So Disneyland will have first dibs on it. I'm glad I went to Disney now. I don't. I got it out of my system, so I don't need to go back in the next year or so when Star Wars kind of unveils. I can let some of that majesty die down a bit, and then I can enjoy it with the family. So it, it'll be great to revisit that. But Rob, we're not just here to talk about Galaxy's Edge, my friend. We're here to talk about pop culture, and you're the man to talk to when it comes to that right there. So pray tell, Rob. What's in your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, you know, every now and then I like to play these little games where you have to pick the best or the worst amongst a few options, Gerald. I think these are some of your favorite segments that we do. And we're going to start off this episode with with one of these. This is Most Ridiculous. This is a kind of a recurring theme that we do on, on this show. So, Gerald, you get to pick the most ridiculous between choice A, which is GameStop Rage, which I'm sure everybody's seen out there by now that has been surfing the internet in any form or another, where somebody tried to return Fallout 76 to GameStop, didn't have a receipt or proof of purchase, didn't like the the way it kind of went down and proceeded to destroy the entire store as a result of not getting his way. That's option one. Any thoughts on that first? Thank goodness it wasn't on Black Friday. Wait for it. Wait for it. We'll see the videos, I'm sure. I know. I tell you what, it, uh, it's just... It, there are rules set up for a reason. You don't know I, I mean, if that was purchased there or anywhere else, no matter how much you trash the store. And it's not, you know, that it, these businesses do have their rights as far as for, to protect themselves from someone trying to go ahead and do something nefarious. So I'm going to have to support GameStop on that one. Uh, I'm not always good supported GameStop, especially with the Circle of Life program. But uh, in this case, I will support GameStop on it. Yeah, I mean, we're living in a society. We've got to have rules and code of conduct. You don't get your way and you decide to, like, destroy something. It's a little much. Settle down, my friend. Maybe you shouldn't be playing games if you can't control that kind of behavior in yourself. Maybe you should really do some deep inner looking of yourself and and figure out what those triggers are so that you can actually be a functional member of our society, which, you know, observes rules and, and ways that things happen day to day. So that's number one, GameStop Rage. Number two. There's been a lot of articles recently, thanks to a podcast that happened, and Hollywood Reporter has an article, I think Variety has an article on it as well, that talks about the billing issues, that is, who gets what kind of billing within a film, uh, was the main issue, as well as contractual and financial issues, of course, for the cancelled Sex in the City 3 movie. So much so as Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall apparently have some sort of feud going on online. But it ceased production because apparently and rumored from everybody else that was on the podcast, which is the cast and key producers and writers and other production members, except for Cantrell, who said she's already said all that she ever needs to say about that production, both the series and the other films. She wanted more money. She was more of the spotlight by the end of the series versus Sarah Jessica Parker, who walked onto that series, a bona fide star, and took a, a leap of or a risk, kind of uh, a risky leap to go to a TV show on HBO versus continuing her movie career. So... Because Control apparently was not getting enough money and not getting enough billing, she pulled out and the film didn't happen. So, billing on Sex and the City 3 caused the film to cease production. Is this a ridiculous news story? Is this something that's getting way too much attention for something that's way past its prime? Probably. For your consideration, that's number two. Any thoughts on that? Well, I did see that up on Variety. And I'll tell you what, it's... This Sex in the City was a it was such a great force as far as people watching it. Obviously, it, it helped boost. I don't want to say the early days of the HBO, but the '90s. It really just gave a, a really 
good boost to their as far as their viewership. Yeah, no, but, I would agree with that. It's a pioneering show. I would put that right up there with Sopranos. And their boxing. as That was really one of their marquee events to watch as well. But there has been such a bitter feud between uh, Kim Cattrall, Sarah Jessica Parker, whatnot, there for so long now. It's gotten old. It's gotten tiresome. And this was their last chance to make a considerable amount of money together as a unit for Sex in the City, and it just didn't materialize. Although I don't think if it would have shown up on screens, it would have gotten that same kind of love because we've seen that in recent years with obviously what's going on with Murphy Brown uh, and so many other projects that are out there as far as that you're on TV or that comes back or rebooted to film. It just doesn't, for the most part, have that same kind of love or same kind of affection if you go ahead and have that extended gap between what was then and what is now. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's it's past its course of prime for as much headline and ink that this thing is getting, it's it's a little bit much. It fell into my ridiculous category by the fact that the power and popularity has, has gone into nostalgia at this point instead of like actually being something current and mainstream. So that is number two on our options for most ridiculous this time around on the Cosmic Crossfire. Number three, Gerald, this one is near and dear to you. Very close. I can't wait. You you may already have this and you may have chosen to pre-order this. Finally, we get to enjoy Scott Wolf and Double Dragon being released on Blu-ray. So excited. Gerald, of course, we've talked about your, your fabled history as part of the production crew on this, is that ridiculous or is that just staple? Is that staple entertainment? Should it not be on this list? I don't even think it's worth our time. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> unless you want unless you want to see some early Alyssa Milano, I just don't think it's just really that worth your time. I didn't even I I, I saw it flash uh, somewhere that it was coming to Blu-ray, and it just really just uh, something that I'd rather soon forget, but. You know what? If it's on sale for $2, I might pick it up. That and Drop Zone, because I believe I have a credit in Drop Zone as well. But I I don't know. I just, you know, it, my memories of my days working in the industry are just, they're, they're not that great because the movies aren't that I worked on were not that great, to be, to be quite honest with you. I think Outbreak and Species are probably the most memorable movies that I can say I really enjoyed being a part of maybe natural born killers although that was just out there with what oliver stone was really trying to ask for and really trying to get when it comes to what he wanted to present on screen right i've seen a lot of gamers both get excited by this and get annoyed by this because of course it brings up the debate can any game actually translate to the big screen this is certainly one of the titles that is at the bottom of the pack in terms of the ip getting made and trying to leverage you know some sort of existing fan base and it's a conversation that will continue to happen because, hey, these, this game IP stuff keeps you know, getting made. we got Sonic the Hedgehog coming up, of course. So what is the most ridiculous of those three? GameStop Rage, Double Dragon headed to Blu-ray with mixed reception? Or uh, the billing and uh, notoriety of Sex in the City 3's cancellation? I would say the GameStop Rage only because of the fact it has a bigger issue when it comes to Fallout 76 not meeting up to the Fallout standards because a lot of feedback have, has come about because of it and it's not a lot of it that's good. I, I don't think a lot of people were very interested in seeing what was being offered because out there in the West Virginia wastelands, it doesn't seem to be very active, a very enticing world out there. Yeah, okay, it's great that they're go- you're going ahead into a multiplayer-centric format, but to me it just shows a, a larger thing that Fallout 76 is, is not going to be one of the stellar titles in the Fallout series. But are you phrasing this as the game is bad that it justifies this behavior? No, it, it does not just. It doesn't apply. even matter that okay, but the point of, of this list, it doesn't even matter what game. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's most ridiculous what he did as far as his reaction. I think obviously that's the case. I'm just, I'm just throwing in a side. Think, that, that uh, and that's and that's fine. I would say that's probably the most ridiculous thing on the list as well. The others are pretty trivial and casual. Can you think of a a crazier reaction or similar reaction to any kind of game or interaction in involving video games in the past? When I ran game stores back in 2007 and 2008, <laughs> I did have someone who was very upset the day that GTA 4 was expected to come out 
and unfortunately our shipment came in a little bit late about several hours late so we were still waiting to get it from mccarran airport here in las vegas and we had a line of about 30 people waiting for it and one guy was so upset he was threatening angry nick if of all people he was <laughs> he was threatening angry nick with bodily harm and it was serious and it got to the point where i'm almost going to call the police and he was actually uh, very concerned for his livelihood. Angry Nick was when he, when he confided to me, and I just, you know, I had to calm the customer down and whatnot. But yeah, it almost got to that point. And I've, I did have customers that were upset because of a certain policy. We couldn't sell to them because they were too young, other things like that. And, you know, they were, they were mad, they were upset, they would be shouting expletives, but not to the extent that what we saw, you know, the other day at, at GameStop. What I love most about this segment, Gerald, is we've reminded viewers of your breadth of history in your career, from working on classics like Double Dragon to owning and running game stores, and now you're a professional podcaster. You're the real deal, man. You've, you've got this covered. It makes sense that you are where you are. The journey has led you here, where you talk about films and games and the ups and downs, because you've seen it. You've been on the front lines. I like it. I like it a lot. Sometimes these memories are not always the ones I want to recall. I'll just have you know right there. <laughs> well, I, I get that too. I, I get that too. But I think I think it's nice that that managed to to weave and that we wove your your fabric into it all. Although it was kind of funny now that I can recall seeing Angry Neck sweat some bullets out there because he looked like he was about ready to uh, wee wee in his pants, so to speak. Oh, a little wee wee for Angry Nini. I, I see how that goes. Coming up next, we have Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pedro podcast previewing this weekend's big games in the NFL. And then after, it's back to the Cosmic Crossfire on the special edition of the PCC Multiverse. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Biterbrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. And we're back with the show. Once again, it's Gerald Glass from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Hoping everyone out there has had a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to a great weekend of shopping, some football action, and so much more. But it all starts with my good friend. He is the fantasy football guru. I'll tell you what. Exactly. Back with that fantasy football turkey right there for you. He heads up the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. You can ask all your questions on late trade requests, waiver wire pickups, lineup changes, and so much more relating to fantasy football. And that's today at the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. And of course, you can catch him each and every week on the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast itself. Full episodes now available on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over 30 different podcast outlets. It's my good friend. Hopefully, you're having a better time shopping than I am. <laughs> it is tyler baker what's going on man i'm doing well buddy yeah well hopefully better than i am because i've been fighting walmart.com for some time now site crashed had my stuff in the uh, cart all ready to go all ready to check out hitting that checkout button right there getting it to the payment screen crash 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 oh. and you know what suddenly out of stock <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> gotcha <laughs> yeah, it, it got me all right. I'll tell you what. So hopefully oh, no. it's a better weekend for fantasy football owners out there than my shopping weekend so far. But I will tell you, it is a lot of great games that are going underneath the radar, so to speak, because 
a lot of bad teams are, yes, going off against other bad teams. But for fantasy football owners, there actually is on each and every game a fantasy football player to watch out for that could really score your points and get you in the right direction towards the playoffs. Oh, yeah. And hey, in the NFL, there are only a couple of teams that are out of the playoff hunt. I mean, there are still some teams, especially in the NFC. So this week, you're seeing a lot of divisional matchups, and you're seeing a lot of teams with four or five wins that they're still in the hunt. So these players, these teams have a lot to play for, and that means fantasy goodness. Yes, it does, and there's a lot of fantasy football matchups I know you're looking at towards this weekend. So when it comes to some of the matchups, What first sticks out to you as something people need to watch out for if they've got a fantasy football league that they really want to go ahead and capitalize on this weekend? There are two teams on by, and they are two of the best teams for fantasy. The Rams and the Chiefs are both on by this week. So if your fantasy team is heavy with those players, you're hitting the waiver wire. There's some guys out there. But you're going to be digging a little bit deep into your roster. And there are a couple teams that have some good matchups this week. One that I think might be something that a lot of people should be interested in because there's a lot of key players that are out there. It's the matchup of Seattle heading out to Carolina to face off against the Panthers. And I know you and I talked about in previous episodes the importance of having Cam Newton on your team because we really thought he was going to go on a roll with all the matchups that he was facing off as in the second half of the season. Unfortunately, so far, that has not materialized as of yet, but Carolina's at home, a lot of good home cooking, could Mm -hmm. be a nice little Carolina turkey in there somewhere that helps Cam Newton and the rest of the Carolina Panthers actually start playing up to their level when they face off against the Seahawks. Yeah, well, Carolina does have a good schedule for the fantasy playoffs, and we're almost there. We're only a week or two away. Now, Seattle's going to be a difficult matchup for them, but like you said, they are at home. They're coming off a loss where they really had the game against a better opponent in the Detroit Lions, but Riverboat Ron kind of tossing the dice there. So, I mean, it's kind of a gut punch, but I expect this team to bounce back. And of course, it's all about Christian McCaffrey. He has been really the focal point of this offense. But there are some other players that are starting to come around. DJ Moore has shown to be Cam Newton's favorite target. And then Curtis Samuel, who's a guy that I've had in dynasty leagues and a guy that has tremendous speed and has a lot of what you see talent-wise and some of the better NFL receivers. And it looks like Curtis Samuel is coming into his own a little bit. Maybe he is gaining the trust of Cam Newton more because when we started the season, remember it was Devin Funches and man, I'm sorry, Devin Funches just isn't that good. But now some of these other weapons on this offense have presented themselves as viable targets. And a couple of those guys are on the waiver wire. DJ Moore might still be on the waiver wire. Curtis Samuel is probably on the waiver wire. You know, so if you're going to be without, say, Tyreek Hill or Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods or some of those weapons, there are guys on the waiver wire that that you can get to fill in this week. I like another matchup out in Denver with the Pittsburgh Steelers going into the Mile High City facing off against the Broncos. And the reason why for fantasy football owners is not only because Philip Lindsay is a pretty solid choice for a running back so far, Mm -hmm. but Pittsburgh really needs to get back into gear after, you know, seeing some up and downs. They really hit a downslide last week, but they look to go ahead and bounce back as far as a complete effort. Yes, they did make the comeback, But I'll tell you what, they did not look good in doing so as far as for the rest of the game because Ben Roethlisberger's throwing so many interceptions. That's really a tough call to go to look at when you talk about him being a number one option for your team as a fantasy football quarterback. Yeah, that's why you can always get Ben Roethlisberger late because <laughs> he's 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 up and down and when he's up he's up and when he's down it's it can it can tank your week. That's why Ben Roethlisberger isn't one of the top quarterbacks to go. But you could say that for this Pittsburgh Steelers team. They're all over the place. They're playing down to opponents. They're, you know, rising to the occasion with other opponents. These are two teams that see each other in the playoffs. Denver certainly has that defense, but Pittsburgh 
it's going to be all hands on deck. Talked about Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman. I don't know if he's going to play in this game. I haven't seen for sure if he's out or not, but it's definitely a Philip Lindsay day. And Emmanuel Sanders has been really frustrating because he's capable of having absolutely monster days. But since Demarius Thomas has been gone, Emmanuel Sanders really hasn't stood out. And Denver's definitely going to need to get Sanders going. It's going to be a good game. Denver's offense is doesn't scare you a whole lot, but yet that Denver defense is certainly going to try to stifle Pittsburgh's offense. So this could be one of those games where there's not a whole lot of touchdowns or Antonio Brown could have five touchdowns. Who knows? It's it's Pittsburgh. It's just which Pittsburgh team is going to show up this week. I don't know. Another game that could be of interest to fantasy football owners out there is Green Bay going into Minnesota. Your thoughts on Minnesota at this point and also Green Bay because both were teams that were very highly regarded coming into the season with a lot of fantasy football options as of this entire season. It really hasn't been the case all the way around. Both have had their ups and downs with a lot of downs coming in the way, especially in Green Bay. Yeah, there really seems to be a rift between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, head coach Mike McCarthy there. You can see it in the body language on TV, but they're facing a divisional opponent. These teams are familiar with each other. And if there was a time for McCarthy to put together a good game plan for a divisional opponent, this is that game. Because here's another scenario where both of these teams are still in it. And, you know, the NFC, those wildcard spots are wide open. But this is going to be a week for a lot of teams that's either going to give them the momentum to make a, a playoff run or crush them and bring reality shattering down to them. And Minnesota is a team also that really is kind of underperformed. And Dalvin Cook is back from that hamstring injury. I don't know why they're having trouble getting him the ball and why they can't get him in space. He's one of the fastest players on the field. So both of these coaches have got to figure out how to get the best out of their players. Being a divisional matchup in prime time on Sunday night, I would expect both of these teams to go out there and leave it all on the field. One team we had talked about on our previous episodes was the Philadelphia Eagles and how perplexing they have been with the fact that, well, look, they've not actually performed anywhere near their Super Bowl level and not performed anywhere near an adequate level, getting blown out even last week by the New Orleans Saints. Your thoughts going forward for the rest of the season when it comes to the options that are available for Philadelphia Because of the fact, I know you had spoken about how you have several Philadelphia Eagles on some of your squads in your fantasy football league. And I know others have plenty of Philadelphia Eagles slots as well. So I ask you, my friend, what is the future going forward for the rest of the season? What's the outlook for anyone who has any Philadelphia Eagles on the roster? Well, Zach Gertz is still one of the premier tight ends in fantasy. So you're going to roll him out every week. You're probably staying away completely from that running game. Carson Wentz, oh man, I played him last week in a league and he got me 0.8 points. <laughs> I still won my matchup, but yeah, yeah, that's tough. Alshon Jeffrey, ugly. that is really ugly. It was really ugly. Thank God I have a good team that I could overcome that. Alshon Jeffrey, you know, he's still the number one there. And while Golden Tate is going to take some targets away, he's not really gelling with that offense the way that maybe some people had thought. And maybe that's because they have three slot receivers there and only one true number one. So, you know, they've still got to figure some things out. But here's the thing. They're playing the Giants. So the Giants are coming off of a win and maybe they have some momentum going their way. But somebody has to win the NFC East. Somebody has to. It's not going to be the Giants. The Redskins have too many injuries. I don't think that they can come back from. So it's between Dallas and Philadelphia. And if you ask me who has a better team. It's Philadelphia. Now they had, like you said, a pretty embarrassing loss last week, but something that we've talked about on this program a couple times is that good teams, when they get beat, especially if they have an embarrassing loss, good teams will come back and get a win, find a way to get a win. So we'll see who Philadelphia is this week. They are going up against the division opponent in the New York Giants. So 
I would expect that defense to show up. You know, the secondary is still sketchy. So maybe Odell Beckham, you know, has a big day. And, and if Eli can manage to muster some of that savvy that he's shown over the years, maybe they have a chance. But I would expect Philadelphia to come out and make a statement with this game. Tyler, it's going to be a great weekend. Just so great to be able to talk to you about some of the games going on in Week 12 in the NFL. And of course, we'll be back on the Monday show to wrap things up in a nice, tidy little holiday bowl (laughs) on Cyber Monday, no less. So hopefully my shopping experience will be much better. (laughs) Tyler, it's always great to hear from you, my friend. Always great to have you as part of the podcast part of the Fantasy Football Painter Podcast, and of course, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Next up, I want to talk about something that was sent to me in the mail. Everybody that's watching the stream will get a nice shot of this. And this is the SNES Omnibus, Gerald. This is the Super Nintendo and its games, Volume 1, A through M. This was provided by author uh, Brett Weiss and his publishing company. It is a look at half the games released for the Super Nintendo. These days, there are a ton of books out there that are just hitting every kind of nook and cranny of anything that is related to video games, whether it's the art of this whether it's looking at an entire library or part of a library like this one does. There's no shortage of content or books for gamers to, to kind of add to their collection. And Brett sent this to me uh, for review consideration so that we could talk about it on our show. We had talked about one of his books earlier on, a, on an episode, one of the early episodes of Game Source or Pop Culture Cosmos, where we looked at top 100 games that he had done from, I think, 77 to 87. And we kind of just randomly see if you guys could guess the kind of title, so to speak. This one is a little bit more straightforward. Like I said, it's games A through M. And it's kind of impressive, to be honest. There is a, a a big kind of page space dedicated to titles like Earthbound. Again, anybody watching on the stream will see that Earthbound's getting at least two-page spread here. There are high, colorful graphics of, of box art and screenshots. There's a lot of history for the titles. There's an insider insight, and there's usually an anecdote from a player who's played the game and has some sort of memory attached to it. Of all the game books out there that you go to Amazon and type video game books, you're going to have a list. This is definitely one of the ones that impressed me more when I got it in person. It's much bigger than I thought. I'd say it's about 12 by 10 inches at least in size. It weighs a ton. There's no shortage of information. The only thing I would have liked to have seen is all the games included. But I I wouldn't even be able to lift it because this book is heavy enough as it is. I will say that Volume 2 is coming on Amazon, so you should pre-order it while you can. Definitely give this like a four out of five. It's fun to just pick up. It's a coffee table like book. You can just read through it and get surprising different answers and whatnot. So like earlier before the show started, I looked at Alien 3 and the book talks about how the Super Nintendo version varied from the Genesis version with only one key difference. And that was the ending was different. So imagine that. I would have never known that unless I would have played Alien 3 for both Genesis and Super Nintendo. But this book, you know, for just killing five minutes before the show started, I was able to go in there find information like that and be able to talk about it on the show. So check it out. I bring it up because I want to know what some of your favorite video game books are, Gerald. Well, I'm going to start off with one I want to read very much because it's going to be adapted into a project, I believe a movie, and that is Console Wars that I think ah, Seth Rogen it's a great read. Is, is adapting. I'd love to read that one. And then You after should get that, the audio book too because the audio book is solid. Definitely make a note of that because I really want to go ahead and actually understand more about those days with Sega and Nintendo because in the 90s, I wasn't keeping up to date as much as I should on the video game scene. I, I did get an N64, I did get a Commodore Amiga, but I was so busy and I was all not, not I could say, too concerned with it. And what, what I was still just not really just taking it all in as far as that whole Sega versus Nintendo thing. And now at, at a later age, it kind of fascinates me that era and time and 
I'm eager to see how they're going to be able to portray it on screen. But yes, I will go ahead and, and actually catch the audiobook or actually read the console wars here coming up in the near future. I've done both, and I and I will say that you can go either way with it. Blake J. Harris is an awesome author. He also did a great essay on the Masters of the Universe live action movie. He continually writes pieces all the time, and he's got a lot of great books in the works, and he teases them occasionally. Slash Film covers his stuff a lot as well. So Blake J. Harris is the author of Console Wars. Just for everybody that's listening, check it out. It's certainly a great Christmas gift for any gamer. And more relevant now than I think it would have been safe had it come out in the mid-90s because so much of that trickles down. In the interviews that he gets with Tom Kalinske, who's a former Mattel employee, has some He-Man stuff that's woven in there, of course, which is nice and a nice little callback to Power of Grayskull. It's really interesting, and Gerald, I'm, I'm really surprised you actually haven't read it or, or listened to it yet. I, I can't say enough about this book. It's one of those ones I've been thinking about getting, and just it just never had the chance to go ahead and time to really go ahead and delve into it. I'd like to, uh, I really would like to go ahead and check that out. I know also I got to check out the one that Josh keeps mentioning from time to time by Jason Scherer of Kotaku. He wrote one as far as uh, recent times on the industry as well. I know I got to re- pick up that one very soon as well. From my standpoint, most of the video game books, related books I've read are more of a fiction variety. And I'd probably start off with the Mass Effects books. The first three are very good reads, especially the first one. I think the first book in the Mass Effect series is probably one of the best books I've ever read as far as any type of fiction that's concerned. I'm trying to think of some other notable ones. Art of Atari, which we cover in our upcoming series, Video Game Boxer, the stories behind the covers by author Tim Lapatino, who's a producer on our series. It just has a treasure trove of Atari images, not just the covers, but the paintings, the point of purchase stuff, magazines, articles and spreads. It it is just chock full of stuff. It was so popular that it spun off into the posters of Atari as well, which actually has detachable posters that you can pull out of the book as some of these iconic games from illustrators and artists like Ralph McQuarrie, by the way, who did Atari covers of all people who is obviously best known for some of the Star Wars concept art. So that's a, a good one. Bitmap Books has a ton of video game options in terms of what the reader can see, whether it's just straight up ad work or artwork. They have stuff there. They have stuff that goes into the history of stuff. That's definitely a company to check out. And Read Only Memory has a great, I don't know if they call it an omnibus or a collected works, but they have one for Genesis and Dreamcast. They have a lot of Sega-driven stuff there. So those would be some other sites I would recommend to people. Some of the Halo books, especially the ones early on, Contact Harvest. There's a couple others in the Halo series that are very good and are must-reads. And when it comes to Jason Shire's book, it's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. I need to go ahead and read that one as well. Uh, in terms of fiction, actually, I think the only one that I've actually ever read that's tied to a video game is XCOM 2, which I reviewed for Game Source when that game came out about a year and a half ago. I remember uh, that. Was- that. That was an excellent read because it really set up the transition from XCOM 1 to XCOM 2 just before the events of the game start. So that was actually super informative for me to read that before the game started so I could really kind of know what to expect when it comes to this new world that was being offered in the scenario. There are some great video game related books out there and I hope people that are into gaming want to go ahead and check them out. I Like I said, there's more that I need to read up on and I know you, you like you said as well, there's more that you got to catch up on. YouTube seems to be offering something free with ads coming up, and that's a bunch of movies. Is this worth it? Is this bad? How can this be good? How do you feel about this? Well, here we go again, because you know me, I'm not exactly the most caring when it comes to something like that, because I actually kind of like it free. If I'll, I'll deal with the ads. I, I'd like the free price. So if it's, if it's something, uh, if it's a movie I want to see... I'll watch it on an FX, a TNT, a, you know, a broadcast cable station, broadcast uh, station itself. I don't mind going through the commercials. I know you being a devoted streaming individual that wants to go ahead and avoid commercials, if at all possible. Actually, you're more in tune well, as far as that. It's just since I've gotten that's how, and that's been our previous sure. discussion. My, my problem is when the commercials appear in a non strategized way yeah like they can't just happen every two and a half minutes they should happen at the end of a scene where there's a break in the action then play the commercials and then come back i have a problem when they just cut to it and they like really throw off you know your viewing habit 
Well, the broadcast stations actually do a much better job than that. When you see uh, on a streaming format, it does have a tendency to go ahead and just cut pretty much at random. Yeah, I will say some of the films that are being offered are Terminator, Rocky, Hackers, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Jesus Camp, and there's a lot more. That's a pretty good list. Just to see the Terminator again might be worthwhile because it goes way back and they could see how or when Terminator was done correctly because, as you know, after Terminator 2, all bets are off when it comes to the Terminator series. And we don't even know what we're going to get when it comes to the rebooted, rebooted, reboot, rebooted Terminator when it comes out with James Cameron's full blessings on it. Nobody knows, and I'm, af- I'm afraid to find out at this point because it's going to bring up the discussions of what is sacred, what isn't sacred, should we remake this, yada, yada, yada. We'll talk about that later on. For another day. Yeah. Lowest opening of a Harry Potter release film happened not too long ago, and that's Fantastic Beasts Part 2. And Variety asks, the world, can Fantastic Beasts last a planned five-film run with diminishing returns or depending on that same core audience? What do you think? Well, I did get a chance to see the movie, and so has Josh, and we do not have favorable opinions of it. I have a full extended review available now on our popculturecosmos.com site, and it does not give the most glowing of reviews. I like the first one as someone who is not a Harry Potter fan who has seen the films. The first Fantastic Beast movie was very strong and one of the better films in the series. And then, eh. unfortunately, and then unfortunately, Fantastic, eh. well, Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald came out and unfortunately went all downhill from there. Well, it, for you, it was done with the opening shot of the trailer. The drone shot over the city through the mountain peaks ended it for you there, even <laughs> though you hadn't seen the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check it out in an early episode where we break down I the trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald. You know, you asked me one time for my opinion on what we should talk about for a documentary, what, what your next topic for a documentary. I think it should just be all on drone shots. Drone shots. Drone shots and movie trailers. There you two, go. Uh, two hours of drone shots. There you go. Drone shot, the movie. So, I mean, the, the big question, you know, the variety was exploring with diminishing returns, you know, is Warner Brothers going to let this go? It was supposed to just be a trilogy. Now it's five films, which is all, which is a weird number to me always. I don't know why it's five. It seems weird. Four is like oh, kind of pushing it. Avatar is in the five film territory now, apparently with diminishing returns and this being the lowest opening. I think they're still doing fairly well economically and they'll still make their money back, but they're going to need something big to happen in installments three or four. I think along the lines of what happened with Fast Five, where it really rejuvenated the franchise and went in a different direction. I also think maybe part of the problem here is that they're letting J.K. Rowling become a screenwriter. And I guess from everything that I've heard about this film, there's just a lot of attention to detail and backstories. And here's the family tree. And here's how this person's connected to this person. She's really connecting the dots with a lot of stuff that you typically don't see in a film that would normally get cut off, save for the book only just so the action can keep up and you can hold a person's attention and and things can just flow better. Was that your impression? The actual impression I had was the relationships that were built up in the first movie were kind of discarded in the second in order to try and build up new characters and and focus on characters who actually did not get to go ahead and and be developed or, or will not probably be developed very much in the future going forward. And I think that was probably the first thing that I really just didn't enjoy about it. I thought the editing was horrible. There were some noticeable weaknesses in the editing when it comes to certain scenes that were just people were just there and just, just unfortunately, not even through magic, just vanished and just were out of the scene entirely without any explanation. There was also characters out there who you didn't understand their motivations on what side of the alliance that they're going on. and. The way it was written, the way it was just portrayed on screen, just it was not a very good movie. And it just when it comes down to it, the explanations and the, of the characters that were there were not very well done. In fact, Newt himself, who should be the the guy that you're going to center around as far as the hero is concerned, really didn't get much of a favorable impression when it comes to the actual whole entire movie itself. He didn't. He wasn't given much to do. Neither was Dumbledore, although that was kind of the goal, I think, in the movie, that he wasn't supposed to get much to do. But in the case of Newt, who is tasked with trying to stop Grindelwald, unfortunately, it wasn't given the opportunity to go ahead and elaborate more on his relationships and his efforts in trying to stop him as well. 
I, it, it's such a conundrum that these studios commit to doing such big franchises without anything remotely secure at that point. Like how do how do how are they committing so much money and so much time to a series that while it's connected to a bigger series like Harry Potter, I feel like we're getting a little bit of the Batman. Uh, fatigue going on here where we're going to get all these other projects that are spawning off connected to this big thing but aren't really ever about this big thing and it's just going to tease fans along with the breadcrumbs that get closer and closer to it i want to add add in this is that it did only 60 million dollars just a little bit below expectations here domestically at the box office in its first weekend but it did over $190 million worldwide in its first weekend. So that speaks volumes as far as the extended universe of what the people outside the U.S. are willing to accept as far as a quality movie and maybe a not-so-quality movie that they're going ahead and, and being able to go ahead and appreciate things that, that are not liked in other areas. Let's take Venom, for example. Venom is something that looked like was going to be on target for maybe a $450 to $550 million movie as far as generating the box office, which was okay for a $125 million cost. But my goodness, once it hit China, it has exploded as far as being one of the biggest releases as far as a outside movie is concerned ever in China. And it's done gangbusters over there and it's basically going to make a huge profit because of it. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, these films, whether they're panned in the United States, it doesn't, it is showing a change in the marketplace that a, a film going forward doesn't have to be reliant on the domestic U.S. marketplace in order to go ahead and gain back this money. So, going forward, you can go ahead and plan out these films like the five Fantastic Beast films, like a sequel to Venom, and like uh, what we saw with Pacific Rim Uprising that you don't have to necessarily go ahead and be tied down to whatever the domestic U.S. market says is a good movie or is not such a good movie. I agree. I mean, it it is more of a 50-50 game now. International is just as important as domestic. Even when something gets panned here, like Warcraft, it doesn't mean that it's not going to do well overseas and have a sequel of some sorts in the works. And China is becoming just a much, much bigger market to, to the point where I might add that there was concerns over this past weekend if the Disney-Fox merger would have been allowed to influence the China market. And when Chinese regulators essentially gave it the blessing, stocks of both Fox and Disney rose as a result because it's that much of a player going forward. So North America is, is no longer like the sexy garden bed for releases. It's really about international releases. I'm waiting for Nintendo Quest to hit the Chinese market. I'll tell you what, it's going to—it's—it's it's already yeah. over there, and I—and I tell you, I haven't seen a penny from it. <laughs> well, that's a shame because I figured it was going to go ahead and explode out into the Chinese marketplace like no other movie, like you know, surpassing even what Venom is doing. Well, piracy being what it is, you don't make any money off of it, so there it is. Uh, speaking actually of release strategies, I want to talk about this new cry to shrink the home video window. This is the ongoing debate between studios and theaters and what's best and for who. Studios want to shrink the time that a film can be released for home video or digital download via iTunes or just discs that you buy at Best Buy or your favorite retailer from the theaters. The theaters obviously want to have a longer exclusivity period so that people are more inclined to see it, knowing that if they don't, they'll have to wait three to four months. Studios want to shrink that to about two months now. Six to eight weeks is their preferred window. Theaters want to keep it at 12 to 15. What are your thoughts? This is an ongoing battle. For most films, they need to go out on the small screen as soon as possible because you and I both know that with most releases – Eight weeks is just about the best you're going to get with, what, 80%, 90% of the releases that are out there. There are very few movies that actually, in the U.S. marketplace, for instance, actually are able to go ahead and survive that long period of time. So eight weeks to me is actually sounds better in most cases. Eight weeks. I'm trying to think how that would disrupt things, if that's too soon or not. I mean, I'm at at the point because I got kids that I can't go as much, so a shorter window is better for me. And I'll be honest, since I have had kids in my life, I used to go to the theater every week to see two or three films every week. Now I'm buying and renting much more at home because I can't go out. So shorter window is only going to help me. But at the same time, I feel like I have a ton of stuff to watch. So I don't know that a shorter window is really going to change things except for change the priority of things that I do watch. 
it might mean that I don't watch a show on Netflix that comes to it right away, that I might watch Studio Fair that's released on, on iTunes, in my, in my case. And I think that's the other argument that needs to be kind of considered here. How does shortening the window affect streaming services going forward? If the window is shorter and the next Marvel movie is ready for release, does it go to iTunes first or does it go to Disney Plus first? And how does that work? Well, you know if it's going to go anywhere, it's going to go to Disney Plus first. I'll tell you what, they're, they're going to make sure that their movies are going to have you a higher think so? priority. I, I know so. I, I, I think it's going to go to iTunes and anywhere that they can get $20 instead of giving it away for free as part of their $10 subscription package. Well, they're, they're going to do that to buy them an extra month before it goes on to Disney Plus. Wow. I think they want to shorten the window so that when all these different sub- subscription services start, it can go on the subscription service at the time that it's coming out now. But if they shorten the window, they can start the pay period earlier by a month so they can make their money up front for the people that can't wait. And then, then it'll go on the subscription service as part of the package. But one place it won't be going in 2019 is on Netflix because their their relationship is dissolving pretty much. I think Infinity War will be one of the last films that they're going to be able to show on the Netflix streaming service because that's coming out on Christmas. Disney Plus is going to be a big priority for them. It's got to be a huge priority for them. And if you if you think that iTunes is going to be, they want to get that $20 or $15, you know, last minute before you know a month three weeks two weeks before it hits disney plus i can understand that but it's going to happen in the near future where most of these films that are only what five six weeks and they're out of the marketplace entirely except for the dollar theaters uh, i think in the most cases it works out a lot better if it'd be just an eight-week period i would probably say that you're not going to get much move on this because theaters aren't getting that much in terms of the split anymore And the less the theaters get, the less reason there is for a theatrical experience to happen. We're already getting that with less studios out there putting out less films. So people are having to choose from uh, a significantly lower number of titles to go out there. With technology being what it is, the, the vast superiority of TVs now compared to a decade ago, the surround sound systems that are at home, including Dolby Atmos at home now, there's less and less reason to go out there. If you shrink that window, that gives even less reasons to go out there. So this is really a discussion about how important is the theatrical experience to cinema. And is, is this just about shoveling product to people to make money? Or is this about letting the art form be celebrated on the best possible means and making an event and marketing out of something? To me, I think that window is going to become shorter, and I think we're going to see with more and more theatrical releases, I think you're going to see some as far as even conjunction, almost day and date to the theatrical release that some will actually appear on VOD. And we're actually seeing that already with some lower-budgeted films or, or films that you know are going under the radar that they're only appearing on a limited number of theaters, but they're coming out on VOD the same day. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Speaking of trailers that are coming out the same day, we got a brand new trailer for Dumbo recently heading into the family Thanksgiving weekend. And I think some of this is strategy where you put out the trailer for a family film ahead of a, a family holiday. And it's probably going to be attached to Wreck-It Ralph, which opened a couple days ago by the time you listen to our show. Lots of things to talk about in this trailer. It's very Tim Burton. The question I had, is this really just a disney version of Big Fish? <laughs> it's a... I don't know. It's, it looks like it's a heartwarming story. Tim Burton is actually has his hands all over it on this occasion. I'm just excited to see Tim Burton project once again that maybe will not be as disappointing as some of his more recent outings. And It looks like to me one of the live action features that I actually want to see because there have been some that have been, been in the recent past where I, I'm just not really that interested in it. Although Mary Poppins is coming back around. 
very soon and and there's more on the way i mean this is another way disney can generate a new source of income is rebooting all these older animated features and bringing them into a live action format and i think this is a smart way of going ahead and reintroducing to young audiences out there the magic of what disney is all about speaking of wreck it ralph ralph breaks the internet has hit theaters now and I've always been torn on this film. This seemed like a really strange film to push so fast into sequel territory. And the concept for the sequel didn't feel to gel with the original premise of one that celebrates video games. This one seems to put that more into exploring the evolution of technology with visualizing what the internet actually is. Was this the best direction to go for for this film? And is a third film necessary given that all the reviews that are coming out say it's the same thing about two oddball characters that are outcasts or exploring their relationship to their own world and with each other. How many times do we need to see that? Well, currently right now, it's got a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's still a very good representation as far as quality on screen. I think that it is something that Disney is proud of, even though it hasn't garnered the largest amount of box office returns as far as the original uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and go and see the film at some point in here in the near future. So I'm excited for it. And actually, if it's done well enough, in my opinion, I could see a third one, at least trying to go ahead and, and close out a trilogy. So I'm all for Wreck-It Ralph. There are worse ideas that have come to fruition when it comes to animated features that have been given one, two, three, four, or even more on the screen. I mean, Ice Age, I, I just that to me was just, okay... Ice Age, we're done. But how many Ice Ages were made after that? It just, those did not appeal to me. The Record Ralph does because of the retro video game internet type feel. So it's getting positive reviews, especially the fact that it's willing to go ahead and mock itself and when it comes to the whole Disney Empire thing. So I actually am excited to go see it. And I'm I, if it's good enough for me, I'd like to go ahead and, and maybe even see a third one come out at some point in the future. You know, we have it, and it's been on play a lot here. It was on play a lot to and from Disney. Uh, my son really enjoys the film, and we got to catch a sneak peek of it, a 15-minute look at Ralph Breaks the Internet while we were at Hollywood Studios. And there's a lot of great scenes in it, and I'm just, I just don't think it's as cohesive as the first one was from what I've seen. Of course, they're showing us chunks in different selected scenes. The Disney princess scene is hilarious. If you haven't seen it, Disney's made it available in its entirety online. It's been shared to our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, so you can check that out there if you want to. It, it just doesn't gel for me, and I'm really hoping for a big turnaround on it. it it's something that I'll probably take my son to see in the theater, and uh, it just got the odds stacked up to, to it, if, if you know what I mean. It does, but I, that doesn't mean it's not going to be successful. I mean, it's, it's something that over the Thanksgiving holiday period should do pretty good. It is not, like I said before, one of Disney's high-grossing animated films. It will never be thought of in that way. I'm just surprised that it did come out because the first one did okay, but didn't do super great at the box office. So I'm just surprised that we're actually getting a sequel in the first place. Well, that'll do it for another show of The Cosmic Crossfire. It has been a while, but there's a lot of good stuff. I think we covered this episode, Gerald. Before I go ahead and ask for a rundown of what you're doing on your projects, if you have questions for Rob at any point in time, just go ahead and let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or Rob McZob on Twitter. Rob, before we head on out, I got to get an update on what's going on with all your great stuff at Rob McCallum Films. Well, I mean, Power of Grayskull continues to do incredibly well. We're exploring different options to finally get the disc-based version out there and looking at our uh, different sales agent options and, and basically exploring the marketplace that is above and beyond the, the streaming window that Netflix has. So be on the lookout for information on that. Missing Mom is doing incredibly well on Amazon Prime still. It's now available on iTunes as well as different cable channels in Canada. So check out Missing Mom. I'm actually hoping to redo the poster design just so we can get a little bit of fresh blood out there so people can see a new different look on it to kind of celebrate its, its releases as we kind of mark almost a year ago when the award season kind of closed for Missing Mom and it ended the festival circuit. So that's in the works. Video game box art, this is this might be breaking news, Gerald. May have, probably have, should likely have eight episodes now. 
If you're a backer, depending on the level you back, you could get as many as eight episodes. There are two kind of tiers there. Some people will get an extended version, which will include all eight. The other version is probably just the six episodes. We do have interested broadcasters and distributors already kind of signing on board and taking a look and really liking what they see. So we're going through the legal process, going through post-production audio on that, and, and things are really coming together. Again, if you want to check out all of this great stuff when it comes to box art, the always extending, it seems like, docuseries, you got Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that's now available on Netflix. You got Missing Mom, like you said, that's available on Amazon Prime and iTunes. Nintendo Quest, which you can always get all over the place and so much more. Just go ahead and check out all the info today at Rob McCallum Films. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Oh, anytime, anytime, my friend. Rob, it's always great to have you here back on the show, back from Disney World. And always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos right here in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. Hello, Questers. This is Mandy, the host of Caster Quest, inviting you to enjoy our podcast where we explore the rich and vibrant world of Patrick Rothfuss's best-selling fantasy series, The Kingkiller Chronicle. Soon to be adapted as a major motion picture and television show produced by the award-winning creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hungry for more content? Perhaps you will enjoy our recaps of HBO's Game of Thrones, Over the Garden Wall, animated Batman films, whatever you're in the mood for. If you love a good story, humor, impromptu parody songs, and thousands of pop culture references, you'll enjoy our show. You can find CasterQuest on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, our amazing network, the Earth Station One Network at ESOPodcast.com. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos, and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.